0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Landlord Law podcast. I'm Tessa Shepperson of Landlord Law and I'm absolutely delighted today to have Kate Faulkner with me. Kate, can you introduce yourself and tell people what you do?
1: Uh, hello, my name is Kate Faulkner and, uh, I've got various things, but probably one of the main things I do is, uh, analyze property markets. So, uh, we're kind of specialists in what's happening to property prices now and in the future, what's happening to rents. Uh, and we do it at, uh, as locally as we possibly can, um, and even on an individual level. So, um, that's what our, our main thing is. And apart from that, I kind of work quite Quite closely um, on the political side, understanding what are the what are the political things that will impact um, on the property market, because obviously that drives the figures, um, and uh, and the what's happening in the economy. So um, I don't quite do PPE in the same way that Oxford does. I do politics, property and economics. So uh, I leave the philosophy to somebody else.
0: Um, And also you're on the telly sometimes, aren't you?
1: Yes, I do a little bit of telly here and there. So uh, whether it's uh, something like This Morning or uh, BBC, quite a regular at. um, And you used to have the property show with LBC, which was uh, probably one of the highlights of uh, things turning up at... uh, half eight on uh, a Thursday night at Leicester Square and sneaking and sneaking into Global's um uh, big building that they have on the corner uh, while everybody else was going to watch the watch the latest film. Uh, I used to love that and then we chat about property for an hour and I'd I'd go home. So uh, one of my one of my favourite things. So probably prefer radio to TV if I'm honest.
0: Yeah, radio's good. I did a couple of things on LBC, but the trouble is I live in Norwich so I had to travel travel down to Norwich do it on LBC, and then travel back to Norwich on the train. So it's a bit of a long yeah. journey.
1: Well, I used to get. I used to go down. I think I used to go down about five, um, and then uh, I, so I was on at nine o'clock. Um, and I, but I didn't used to get because the way the trains ran, I never used to get home till about half one the next morning. But uh, mm-hmm. it was still just, um, just, just a. a, a I used to pinch myself before I walked in. I was actually going <laughs> to be talking to hundreds of thousands of people, and it was a weekly yeah. show, and it was fabulous.
0: And then I was, i got a taxi, and uh, he said, "I heard you." I was oh yes, me. that's
1: great, isn't it? Yeah, if you all the taxi drivers listen to LBC, so yeah, uh, yeah I got that as well. It's uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You Shepperson. feel like you've really made it, then, don't you?
0: <laughs> I had that Tessa Shepherdson in the back of my cab. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we better move on. So, um. I think perhaps what we could start with is as, it's, as this is January and recording this on the 3rd of January, what do you think are the most significant things that happened for landlords last year?
1: So lots of people come up with lots of things. But I think from my perspective, um, I think that a lot of landlords have now realised, if they didn't realise it before, <laughs> that mortgages are always going to average about 5 to 6% over time, if not more and that any deal you do has got to be able to stack up at that level, even if mortgage rates are at two or 3% on average. Um, I think the other thing that people have learnt really is that uh, very random events uh, can impact harshly and very quickly on your property business models. So utility prices, wage changes, politics. Um, and uh, we always talk about in business about having backup plans. Well, there's no point just having one backup plan as a landlord. You need to have several and you're going to need to have backup money these days as well. Yeah. And I How think much of I... a
0: fund do you think landlords ought to keep?
1: Well, there's various ways of doing it. And um, somebody I know, uh, this wasn't my idea, but I thought it was very good. They said, if you've got a portfolio of properties, you should always have one that's um, uh, totally owned with cash just in case. Uh, you need that, or need to access in one way, shape, or form. And I thought that was quite good. But I think you've got to. I mean, you can't really go anything less than less than ten grand. You've got to think of a boiler not paying uh, their rent for six months, that kind of thing. So, depending on where you are, where I live, ten grand would would last that long. But uh, if you're in London, obviously, you'd need you'd need sort of double that, I would assume. So, uh,
0: having a fund is important. Yeah. So, last year. Anything that you want to think about or should we move on to what's happening this year?
1: Yeah, I think the other thing um, that I noticed, which was a big change on the Facebook or online groups that I'm on, is that when anybody had asked about rent increases, I'd always said you should put your rents up every single year. And I used to get lambasted for being a greedy landlord for doing that but i think people have people forgot they were running a business and had got lulled into this false sense of security with in, uh, with inflation um and as a re- as a result what i found in the last last year was that people didn't attack me anywhere near as much as they have in the past and those people that hadn't increased their rents for 5 years particularly in scotland where we had rent controls coming in they suddenly realized that actually maybe increasing it a little bit each year was a was what they should have done um and for me the big thing that landlords haven't understood is if you only put the rents up um every sort of four or five years or however many years it is when some a tenant moves out that is where the industry is getting accused of skyrocketing rents yeah um and it's much easier, it's much better for a tenant to know that they're going to have a little increase each year. And let's face it, everybody else does it, every other business does it. And social landlords last year could increase rents by 7.5%. And, you know, still the private rented sector increased it by about sort of 6%. But of course, that was a few percent for those that were increasing rents for existing tenants and 10% if you were doing a new let. So I think that really understanding this is a business yeah. and if you don't get it right and if you mess up some of the fines i don't know if you saw them last year yeah. some of the fines were quite um big and the idea that this is a side hustle or an armchair investment i think that's completely gone now um you have to you have to run this like a sharp business person and you have to have all the right backup especially from a legal perspective Um, I couldn't do you know I couldn't do what I do without help from people like yourself Um, you know and this is my day job Um, so I think that landlords have, have really I think the ones that survive into the future are the ones that are going to be sort of better placed because they they did look at this like a business
0: yeah I have to say something that i increasingly think is absolutely essential for being a landlord is property inspections
1: oh uh, yes yeah a hundred percent and um it's one of those things isn't it it's, it's almost the wrong word because it shouldn't be an inspection yeah because it should be something that's two-way and I know I don't know if you come up with a better phrase or something, but it should just be a property visit or a yeah. uh, you know, a catch up or something like that. We we by calling it an inspection, you're already putting the poor tenant on the back foot. Yeah. And you're already you're you're also coming across as a bit of an ogre. Yeah. Um but you're absolutely right. I mean, some of the stories that you hear are because people aren't checking the properties and yeah. um you know, it is it is absolutely vital if for no other reason that the tenant has got a leaking tap and they didn't want to bother you with it. Yeah,
0: absolutely. But I mean, there's there's some horrendous things that can happen. I mean, a tenant may perhaps bring in a lodger because they haven't got enough yes. money and they, they, they've they got a spare room, but they don't realise that that's turned the property into a licensable HMO.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. And uh, I think it's uh, we've still got to do a better job at um, educating yeah. tenants and across the board in property um, and I think that by you know working together I mean I was quite shocked you know their how to rent guide that um, that yeah. everybody's supposed to give the uh, TDS did some uh, research and it's still quite shocking how many tenants don't even know if they had one. one oh yeah because you think well and it, it's very hard. It's not just landlords that we have a problem educating. In fact, you know, landlords are, are better. It's the tenants that we have a real problem educating. Mm-hmm. Um And uh, we have to do a much better job of that.
0: Yeah, I think they ought to teach it in schools.
1: Well, they can teach it in schools. But they uh, don't, do they? Well, they have no excuse not to for the reason being... Uh, again back to the tds is they um they funded re- they funded uh an educational document for teachers oh, right. which is about housing mm. uh it was done some time ago but um i got it i got it passed uh, and it was done by a fantastic organization called young enterprise because they'd got the contract from the government to deliver financial education so mm. we slipped it in under that
0: yeah i mean uh, um I mean, when my son was at school, he was doing things like the history of surgery. You know, I mean, it would be a lot more useful for young people if they learnt about landlords' obligations for deposits and their rights about eviction. You know, yeah, it's a lot absolutely. more practical, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and there's some real juicy stories that they can teach them <laughs> yeah. with from the from the naughty ones to the absolute delightful ones. So, uh, yeah, I think I think we will. That will happen more, but also we've got to get a change in the media because uh, at the moment there's actually a weird thing going on, I think, whereby um, looking at this from a backgrounds marketing, looking at this from a marketing perspective, if you constantly tell everybody, which is what happens, that all landlords are bad and all agents are bad, yeah, tenants don't know how to look for the good ones. yeah, and They don't complain against the bad ones because they're told it's normal yeah and that's the cycle that we have to break, but it's very difficult the 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 press I firmly believe think that bad news stories on property are what sells and i and I don't think they do. I think that's incorrect,
0: yeah yeah I mean, I've known some fantastic landlords and and agents,
1: you know yeah yeah, well, I work with them every day, you know yeah. um, and uh it's um it's we just have to be much more coordinated as an industry, and we're getting there, we're getting there yeah. with that.
0: So what about the renters' reform bill? Um, I think we ought to talk about it. What's your view?
1: I'm rolling my eyes, Tessa. Rolling, (laughs) rolling, rolling my eyes. Uh, I don't think there's nothing new about it uh, from my perspective. Um, It's more legislation, basically, uh, and it's politicians spending their time papering over cracks um, for a housing crisis that they claim is down to landlords, which has got nothing to do with landlords. I'm very firmly have a mantra, uh, certainly up until the election of we haven't got a housing crisis. We've got a social homes housing crisis. Absolutely. Yes. And And that is different. I also feel that the, the,
0: um, the government is trying to solve by legislation problems that can only really be solved by proper funding.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. But there's also a ton of other ways. So they're talking about protecting tenants, for example. So when you look at what what is the difference between a tenant and a landlord, and I remember being in a meeting, this was a long, long time ago, um, shelter were there and generation rent and, and RLA, etc. And they had a go about the fact that landlords had access to legal help, for example, from the NRLA. So I said to them, well, why don't you do the same for tenants so that they have access and then they're equal? Oh, well, shelter's head went down. Uh, Generation Rent did ask you to ask about it. Um, and it took me some years, but I actually did come up with an insurance product for tenants, which wasn't that much money which would mean that if a landlord was being naughty or whatever or was serving them notice they could get on to they could go to a, a a legal sort of professional to go go and get that done and it was really not very expensive at all. Um other things happened so I didn't have time to kind of go out there and and push it but there's an awful lot of things you t- that that could be done. So for example, if the tenant on that insurance where the landlord was evicting them for example under a section 21 um, famous no fault eviction, although that's one of the things that weird things that I think will come out of the mm, of the rent yeah. reform that there is no fault evictions, they don't exist. Um, was that you know they get a thousand pounds towards the next move? Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's a lot of easy ways around it, and at the moment. Bringing in what I've learned is bringing in laws doesn't mean anything changes. And in fact, what it does is it's worse than that. It means that the good guys cost more than the bad guys. So the vulnerable people, the million people, free households, for example, on benefits who are renting in the private sector, because although they're eligible for a social home, it wasn't given, they're not available and not given to them. So they're kind of forced into a sector they shouldn't be in. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, as a result of that it's just like well this is this is crazy um so for me i think that um as far as the rent rent reform is going i just think it's it's solving the wrong problems in the wrong way um yeah. and i i just and how many times i'm bored to be honest tessa and uh, that that we're here again Um, How many other laws do you remember that were going to be game changers um, and we're going to make this vast difference? And they haven't made a blind bit of difference because, as you say, there isn't enough enforcement. Um, And the good guys um, cost a lot more than the bad guys because the bad guys don't adhere. And so they're they're more likely to rent to people, you know, who are vulnerable. And that's 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 the wrong way of working with the market.
0: I mean, the only way that anything is going to be done about the bad guys. You're not going to do it through legislation because they don't take any notice of it. Exactly. The only way that you're going to do it is paying more money for enforcement. It is. The reason the bad guys are there is because there's no enforcement. If you're a criminal, you want to go somewhere where you're not going to be penalised and you can do it safely. And that's why they're there.
1: Although what I would say is that actually if we bothered to, if all the money that Shelter had taken in, for the fundraising that they'd had, instead of fighting for laws, which in their own, you know, when you hear them talk, say that all oh, tenants have no rights. Well, it's like, well, you've, you've, you've had hundreds of millions, surely, to help um, give tenants more power. Well, what would really have given tenants more power? What if you'd spent those hundreds of millions educating tenants on how to choose a good agent and a good landlord? Yeah. That's what for me, that's where you start um, yeah. because if you do that, then it makes it, it it makes it easier to spot you look for the good guys at the moment people just assume they're all bad yeah. and that's that's the worst possible place um but you're right, you know the enforcement side is terrible um, and it, my view is save so the rent reform even before now what we're looking at 400 rules and regulations well, let's step back from this if 400 rules and regulations haven't helped. <laughs> yeah. how are a few more gonna help for goodness sake yeah yeah no it's bonkers it's bonkers it's bonkers it's the only way to only way to describe it absolutely
0: yeah i mean i i did um i did eviction work for years i don't do it now but i did do it for many years and it was um mostly it was because tenants hadn't paid the rent yeah
1: and that's you know if tenants haven't paid their rents so they're being a nuisance to neighbors uh or the landlord wants to move back in yeah well Is the rent reform going to stop any of that? No. But what it will do, what it will do is it will record now all of the evictions. So the biggest thing we'll learn by getting rid of no-fault evictions is that there were never any no-fault evictions, or very rarely. Um, And my biggest fear is, and nobody's really listening to me on this or certainly not answering the question, is, okay, so when I had to evict somebody under a Section 21 – Um, it's a young girl with a baby and um, uh, it was because of not hard drugs, but because of um, bringing in soft drugs. There were other families in the the area and um, she got rehoused by the council. Now, you'll know this better than I. She won't get rehoused by the Mm. council, will she now? No, she'll be voluntarily homeless. So how many of those no-fault evictions are now going to be homeless um, because they didn't pay their rent,
0: a substantial proportions of the evictions that I did were actually the landlord and the tenant working together to force the local authority to rehouse <laughs> exactly. them. Yeah, I earned
1: a lot of money from that. Um, and how crazy is that?
0: Yeah, uh, because the local authorities wouldn't rehouse tenants until the bailiff was about to go in and boot them out and um the landlord and the tenant would sort of work together you know they often they you know they they as i said they were working together so um
1: but they won't be able to do that now will they or under the new rules that yeah. won't, that won't happen
0: no it won't no so uh, yeah no it's not it's not particularly good for tenants i don't think in that respect
1: no and i just think it'll be a lot more paperwork for landlords um it'll put some off um and that's a problem. Um, so, and, you know, you only have to look at, obviously, we do property market analysis. This is a great chart. Uh, it's the Office of National Statistics, so um, interest, So, interest, government data. Uh, and it shows you that uh, basically, this goes back to about 2012, I think, and rent rises up up and down 2 or 3% every single year. And then you go, oh, what's that big spike that we've had? Oh, I think that's when government interference in the property in the <laughs> landlord market happened and oh i think that's a spike when uh the uh mortgage relief uh disappeared and uh suddenly the rents are rocketing upwards it's partly mm. because of wage rises so that allows them to but what's interesting is in all three countries as well um mm. and they've all messed it up this isn't a conservative issue it's labor and it's smp
0: yeah. Well, um, I'm pleased to hear that Labour say they're not going to introduce any rent controls anyway, because that, yeah. um, Agreed. that's been proven to be counterproductive.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, we should all in England, thank Scotland. Landlords in England should should uh, tip, tip a hat to uh, Scott, to the SNP party for proving what a really, really, really bad idea it was. Yeah. More than anything else behind the scenes is that the impact that it's had on... Um, Uh, investment in in new housing and it's making it virtually impossible for social um, housing providers. So, But he forgets they can't increase, I don't think they can increase the rents either so by much, whereas here they can increase the rents by, or last year they had a 7.5% increase they could put through, uh, whereas the cap in Scotland is three, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Do you think the um, Renters Reform Bill is actually going to make it?
1: Ah, Well... Who knows? Uh, to be honest, so I think that I think it'll definitely go through. I think the banning of Section Twenty-One is the main one. Well,
0: that, that, um, all parties have committed to that, so that's yeah. going to happen.
1: Yeah, but as a question to you, my in the conversations that I've had, I don't think. That anybody that thinks that section 21 being banned is a good idea understands how complicated it is because it's not, it's my understanding is, and it's right or wrong, um, is that it requires an awful lot of legal changes because it's written into lots of different types of legislation. Is that right? Does that make sense?
0: Um, well, I mean, section 21 is, um, it's important for enforcing a number of rules so for example if you don't protect the deposit you can't use section 21 if you don't serve your gas safety certificate you can't use section 21 if you don't serve any so well it, that will go then that that will go i think in the legislation they they're continuing the deposit one right but i don't think they've done any of those others so that's going to reduce the incentive for landlords wow. To comply. I mean, HMO licensing is another one, although tenants can bring um, a a rent repayment, an application for rent repayment order. So that enforces that. But um,
1: yeah, I mean. So you couldn't. I understand I think Labour said they're going to get rid of it on day one. Well, I don't think you can. It's a bit like when we had uh, uh, they were going to get rid of um, home information packs when you were selling a home. But they, they were going to do that very quickly, but they couldn't because they realized that it affected the legislation about EPCs, which they had to keep. Mm. Um, so I don't think any, my understanding is that you, you can't get rid of it that quickly because it'll take a lot of legal changes to go through to have it happen. I think the things like the rent increase notice for the two months, um, I think that'll happen and I think yeah. that's fair. And I think the ombudsman and portal will be created, but I think that'll take years. And yeah. I don't know if you, you you remember, but do you remember all of the licensing when people applied to the licensing? Do you remember all of those those websites falling over? Mm. And all the problems that they've got now. So we know, I know Nottingham Council had uh, tens of thousands of applications for licensing and um i think in the first year or two they hadn't even sent out a thousand yeah um things so how that's i actually don't know that that's practical as how it will work um and so i think they'll introduce some of them but i don't think they. i think they've completely underestimated how difficult this is going to be and i i don't know how you feel about it but what I'm saying is, what do you mean? You're going to have a property portal and licensing? That's a disaster. Forget it. You either have one or the other.
0: I mean, it's a bit stupid to have local authority licensing, and because they're sort of like the same thing in a way, aren't they?
1: It's exactly the same thing. Or yeah. even if it, well, and if it's not the same thing, well, are you saying that licensing is wrong then? See, yeah. I don't I mean, see it hasn't how you could very do- well, has it? No, I'm, I, I must admit, I wrote a paper for Lettings Industry Council that I set up a few years ago, and I genuinely went into it with no idea whether licensing was going to work or not. I came out of it and absolutely hating licensing hmm. and being very anti, and that was never my intention. But it it's just so much money. It's become an administration exercise. Um, I don't think they really make money out of it, which is what some people have accused it of. Hmm. But... I think it was just almost done for show. Um, not all of the councils. So I think the ones that introduced it originally have probably done a good job. But when you look at the amount, the cost and the time and the number of uh, cases that have gone through, it's dreadful. It's dreadful yeah, but I think value for money. one of the
0: money. problems is the, the variation. You know, oh, you can be ridiculous. on one side of a road and pay a licence fee of a thousand quid. And on the other side of the road, you know, and you pay something else and it's... It's unfair.
1: Yeah, but there's also, they're attaching um, like extra conditions. Yeah. But it's like, are you serious? You know, I mean, it's 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 not doing what it should do, which is protecting tenants. It's just become a horrendous administration exercise at a horrendous cost.
0: What about Labour? What do you think is likely to happen if Labour come in? What Do you know anything about their plans?
1: So I don't think they're that different to the ones from the Conservatives um, or anybody else, really. So I think there is a bit of an agreement, if you like, on on the tenant side of things. I think Labour are just going to push that they're going to go sort of harder and faster. And weirdly, it may well be that landlords do – if landlords might do better under Labour for the simple reason – that uh, the way Rachel Reeves talks about working with the private sector using government money, going back to what I was saying earlier, that the problem is a social homes crisis, not a private sector crisis. So if I if we can get the argument across, and I'd really encourage landlords to talk about this as much as possible. Imagine, so we've got a million households on waiting lists who are eligible for social home. Imagine if they were there. That will take a million people out of the private rented sector. That means I think we won't have any problems in the rental sector stock-wise, and we probably won't have that many problems in the in in buying and selling because a lot of those properties would go up for first-time buyers. So, if if we could match and work the private landlords and property investors. And the government could work with them, uh, Labour, for example, to say, well, look, guys, um, let's say it's, what, there's 2 million landlords. What if Labour could create a system whereby they work with 50,000 landlords a year to build two properties? And rather than expecting like huge swathes of social homes... The local authority through a scheme created by the government. Um, I live in Utopia, by the way. Whether this will happen or not, I don't know. But what if you could have all those landlords building small, little two, two lots of houses, or taking a house, splitting it into two? And of course, that's coming in under potentially. Um, it's not in yet. So I would point that out. So, in the last budget, uh, the Chancellor stated they they were looking at. Giving permitted development rights to turn a house into two flats. Mm. Um, if that happens and it is not in yet, and some people are saying it is, it's not. Um, then if there could be some incentive, um, for landlords to create homes rather than buying existing ones that would then go into the social sector to reduce those affordable waiting lists, then we could actually get ourselves out of the mess that we're in. Um, But if Labour just think that they can introduce laws and uh, kick landlords and continue to do that, it's proved to fail. Yeah, Um, I mean, they've got to be nice to landlords because they need landlords. Well, what they need is they need to work with the sector, not kick it. They've seen the failure. If they were smart, they'd seen the failure of the SNP and and the failures on the Conservative side. Um, And indeed, they haven't done that well in Wales, have they? Yeah. Um there's plenty of land in Wales. Why have they got affordable housing problems in Wales? There's yeah. no, you know, we look at the price data. There's no reason to have affordability problems in Wales. There shouldn't be affordable waiting lists in Wales. Um, and they, I think that should have been sorted. And I think the way to sort it is working with the private sector, not necessarily with the big developers or anything, but working with the individual landlords that can convert a house into two flats, hand that over to the social sector for 25 years. Because a lot of landlords just want a 6% return on their investment. Yeah, yeah. and we can do that, we can create that together. Um, so I don't think they'll ever be nice to landlords, but there could be a a, a different relationship. Yeah. Where landlords add the value rather than be seen as people that take it away. And that is wrong. It's 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 a totally unfair view of landlords.
0: Hmm. I know when I listened to an interview with Angela Rayner, she said one of the things she really wanted to do was build a lot of social housing. So I don't yeah. know whether that'll happen or not.
1: Well, that's what I'm saying. Is they how are they going to do that without the help from the private sector? There's plenty yeah. of money there, um, but there's got to be. There is a fantastic opportunity to work together on that, um, yeah. and it's whether we can persuade uh, whether it's Angela Rayner or Rachel Reeves um, to to test that out, for example.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the houses being built now are, are the wrong size, aren't they? They're sort of houses that builders can make money out of, whereas what people want is little flats and little, well, little terraced int- houses. And
1: yeah, it's interesting you say that because usually the, a lot of the developments. Uh, and I was never a fan of the developers. I I started working with them in the early two thousands, and I was really shocked actually because they changed their mind. Um, and I've still I've done some work with Barrett over over recent years. But when you look at the estates now, the majority of them are completely mixed housing and they go from small to large. And that's, they often have to, to get the planning permission. Yeah. Um, the big mistake that's been made is that the, the idea that the private sector can pay for what are needed, which is the social homes, that's what's failed. So if we can fix that, then there's a chance for everybody to do well. But until there is an acceptance by MPs that. How on earth are all the developers and all the private landlords expected to pay to build a million social homes well, out of yes. a bit of tax here and there? It's just not possible. So yeah. we've got to get that message across and uh, I'll be working hard to do that. And if any anybody else can shout at their MP as well, that would be much appreciated.
0: You you do quite a bit of work with um, buying and selling properties, don't you? Tell us a bit about that and the work that you've done.
1: Yeah, we do. So. Um, Amongst one of my madder ideas, probably, um, is the idea that buying and selling a home should be fun, uh, thoroughly enjoyable, because I love it. Uh, I really love buying and selling a home, and I always have done. Uh, And it's why I came into the market for it. It's taken me a long time to uh, actually do something about it. So I uh, chair a group called the Home Buying and Selling Group. We have about 150 people who help us and wider wider people as well. People, wide, not wider people, uh, but people <laughs> from a wider audience, uh, and uh, we have everybody from lender to removal company, and we have all the trade bodies, and we even work very closely with DLUC. And this is where it's quite interesting. We get on really well with the government, and we're working really well together to change home buying and selling, as opposed to the private se- as opposed to the private rented sector, where you feel like you're. Treated, you're, you're, you're banging your head against a brick wall. And I'm very honest with them over that. So we've been working now with closely with uh, civil servants in government because we get the housing minister that's changed so so often all low. Fair play. Rachel McLean, uh, the last housing minister, was brilliant. Mm. And we were doing some really, really good work. So I was very sorry to lose her. Um, but I'm 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 looking forward to the Bar- Baroness Jo Penn, I think, is the next one. So hopefully we can do the same. But basically what we've done is we've produced a discussion paper which lays out all of the changes required to make buying and selling home better. And they're government changes, so legal changes that need to be made. Um, and that could be, for example, um, that when you put a property up for sale, you have to have either a property pack or a property logbook, which contains all the information somebody would need to be made to knowingly make an offer on a property. Because at the moment, when you make an offer on the property, uh, I've had some great descriptions of it, you get like half a jigsaw puzzle. And then it's only once the offer's made that somebody finishes the puzzle and then you find out your three pieces missing and there's no point buying it in the first place and everybody's wasted time and money. Or my other favorite um, analogy is that it's like, right, Kate, we'd like you to uh, bake a cake. Uh, There's 20 ingredients. We're only going to give you three of them now. When you've made an offer, we'll give you another three. When you've got your mortgage, we'll give you another three. And it's an impossible task. So, Property packs and property logbooks, we'd like those to be mandated as an example. The other two things, or the things that we're looking at is actually uh, some of it is mandated now. So if any landlord is looking to sell, you must make sure that you provide or work with a legal company to provide the material information to sell that property. You must have all your leasehold information, even things like about your mobile phone signal. And agents must have this information to be able to sell your property. So, um, that's national trading standards. They're not being fined yet, for example, but we assume that will come later down the line. So, lots more information. And personally, if I'm selling a property, I always instruct my legal company for day one of marketing. And it makes a big difference. Even during COVID, I managed to sell a property for seven and eight weeks when everybody else, or no, 10 weeks when everybody else was taking 20 plus. Um, Second thing, I don't really want any buyers viewing a property unless they've been financially qualified um because that happens a lot. It's a lot of wasted time and money um Third thing we're looking at is that we want everybody to complete uh by one o'clock on the day of completion to yeah. give everybody time to move, particularly the removal guys so they can get yeah. home to their kids at night stupid oh, though yeah. that may sound that that's you know although legal companies and agents may have had a hard time over the last few years, they still go home at night. Whereas removal guys don't because we didn't move people in time and that's wrong. And a really important thing is, and landlords can do something about this, whether you're buying or selling, is to make sure all the money, be it the mortgage money, your deposit, whatever it is, and bearing in mind 30% of people are buying with cash, we want all that money in the solicitor's bank account 24 to 48 hours before completion day. Mm. And that might take, to transfer the money based on all of the um, the restrictions you have or bank holidays, whatever it might be, that might take 10 days to do. Mm. And people aren't doing it early enough. So those are the things that we're, we're looking at doing. So any landlord saying, please get all your information up front. Uh, don't put it on the market until you have that. Uh, it'll save you a ton of time, ton of time. So very keen, very keen for people to um, start it. You can do it now. You don't need anybody's help or permission. You just tell the legal company or the agent that's what you'd like to do and your mortgage company, I want that money yeah. in in the solicitor's bank account.
0: So um, let's wrap up by um, giving a few tips to landlords. So um, uh, if, you, if you had to give, say you had to give three tips to landlords for things that they've really got to do in the coming year, what, what would your top tips be?
1: Okay. So first one is check your investment now. How has it performed? Has it beaten inflation? Something many landlords don't do. And how will it perform over the next five or 10 years? And that requires looking at forecasts, uh, which, which plenty of people have that out there. Uh, Zoopla is one of the best ones. Um, but we, we summarize all of those on property checklists. Um, and make sure that it's doing better than financial investments now and into the future. You might be quite shocked. So, for example, anybody that has um, bought since 2005, your property may not have gone up any more than inflation. It might not be worth any more than it was to uh, in cash terms. Um Get up to date with your legals. And obviously, this is where you're a fantastic help um, and work with somebody, you know, that really knows what they're talking about. So you don't get hit with finance and repayments, fines and repayment orders, because I think that will go up and up uh, as time goes on, particularly with the portal coming through. And make sure you have a really good team. We often forget the contractor that you get in to look after your property um, must understand lettings legals. So I've uh property I've just bought and gonna let out. My electrician's done a great job. He went in and he said, Right, it's gonna cost you this much to bring it up to letting's legal standards and it's gonna cost you this much to building up to bring it up to building uh reg status. Um and I think it was about half the price to bring it up to letting standard, but I'm gonna just go the full hog because I kind yeah. of uh, think that's important. So make sure your contractors, whether they're fitting doors, whatever it is, make sure they deliver uh, a service that meets the uh, letting standards. And you've got to run this like a business. You cannot Mm -hmm. just buy a property, keep your fingers crossed and expect it to do well. Um, And if you don't check how your property is doing versus other financial investments, such as pensions, um, you know, you can put money in an account and get five, 6% returns uh, Mm -hmm. at the moment. Well, it's a lot less hassle to do that and a yeah. lot less risky. Um, so you've really got to think of this and approach it as a business. Um that's the that's absolutely critical.
0: Yeah. Okay. Kate Faulkner, thank you very much indeed. Nice to see you. Take care.